Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Ryan Schrechter. He is the CEO and founder of AppSkill. AppSkill focuses on Nepalese talent. It is an outsourcing firm primarily focusing on IT, uh, web and techie kind of stuff. But more interestingly, uh, Ryan himself is Nepalese, although he's been living in Australia for about the last 28 years. He is focusing on Nepalese talent and the opportunities that the Nepalese population bring to the workforce. So it was really interesting. He reached out to us to talk about Nepal. And that really interested me. So I wanted to get this perspective and these insights from Ryan. Ryan's company, AppSkill itself, is relatively nascent. They have about 20 staff, uh, but he's been in business a long time, as you will hear. uh, And he has some really good insights and perspectives into uh, Nepal and uh, the opportunities there. So it was a great podcast with Ryan. I really enjoyed it and certainly learned a lot. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over three thousand outsourcing firms representing a global workforce of over five million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today, visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. So, Ryan, you reached out to us to talk about Nepal, Nepalese talent. Uh, and, you know, it's I'm really excited to talk to every country in the world about the talent that's on offer and the opportunities uh, in those economies when it comes to outsourcing. Um, so thank you very much for that. You yourself are Nepalese, I believe, but you're not actually sitting in Nepal. So just, um, you know, super quick, what's your personal uh, relevance and reference in terms of Nepal? Right, uh, Derek, um, as you said, yes, uh, I am from Nepal, um, but I've um, been living in Australia, in Sydney, for about the last 28 years. Um, you know, I came here as a student uh, when I was 19 years old, and then uh, I studied uh, in Australian University, 
and then decided to stay here because I love Australia so much. And uh, in the last uh, 16 years, you know, I've been running a recruitment agency, uh, helping graduates get jobs in the field of study uh, in the areas of accounting, IT, engineering, and other business occupations. So I've been uh, using, uh, you know, outsourcing for my business from the very beginning. And I've used uh, companies in Philippines, uh, in India, and Nepal mostly. And uh, I, what I realized is like, you know, after living in Australia for so many years, I should do something to help my motherland. And I thought, uh, you know, outsourcing is an area where uh, I can really help uh, Nepal at the same time help businesses in Western countries like Australia uh, to, you know, um, reduce their costs and also at the same time take advantage of the resources available back home. Fantastic. When everyone thinks of Nepal, I, I assume they think of Kathmandu and Mount Everest and um, what is it actually like on the ground? I've actually sort of gone to uh, Kathmandu and then I went to the closest sort of easily accessible town to to Mount Everest. So beautiful, beautiful country, obviously incredibly diverse in terms of the mountain range. And um, can you give us an insight into the country, sort of, I suppose, high level economics and um you know, what it's like there in terms of the professional environment. Sure, um, Derek, it's good to know that you've already been to Kathmandu. Uh, when was that? Was it uh, longer? Uh, six years ago, maybe. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, not that long ago. Okay, right. Um, yeah, as you said, uh, you know, when you think about Nepal, a lot of people think about the mountains, the hustle and bustle, Kathmandu Valley. Um, uh, but, you know, it's not just the country for tourism, you know, uh, uh, for trekking. Um, recently, uh, what I realized is um, it's it's trying to grow economically. Uh, I know in the last couple of years, because of COVID and all, the economic growth has slowed down a bit. Uh, but I see a lot of potential there because uh, there, there are many uh, young professionals, like, you know, the emerging professionals, uh, graduates uh, coming out of university every year. Uh, just to give you an idea, just in Nepal, uh, uh, Kathmandu Valley, uh, you know, there are universities uh, producing, uh, you know, 6,000 plus IT graduates every year. And a lot of these students, uh, they end up going overseas for further studies or employment, but there are still a chunk of these candidates who like to remain in Nepal, and they are highly talented. You know, uh, recently uh, the outsourcing sector in Nepal has been growing mainly because of subcontracting from India, because uh, India's uh, become very successful in this area, and at the same time, you know, the salary expectations, the cost of operations have gone up, and so now they have started outsourcing it to Nepal. And uh, I know you represent the Philippines. Uh, probably you might see uh, me as uh, a person who's trying to steal business from Philippines, uh, but uh, that's not uh, you know our intention. I think what India has done, no, Philippines can also do the same. You know, because I know the yeah, cost yeah, yeah. has also gone up. Uh, when I first used Philippines for outsourcing uh, about seven, eight years ago, uh, the cost 
was just like $1,200 for a lead generator, you know. But now uh, it's like it's gone up to like two, three thousand dollars even. Uh, that's that's a lot of money, you know. So the the savings for businesses in Australia uh, has been shrinking. You know, before it used to be seventy five percent. Now maybe it's about fifty percent or less, right? Uh, so with all that expertise, you know, uh, experience in the Philippines, if we can um, transfer some of that you know, IP and intellect to Nepal, I think uh, both Nepal and Philippines can benefit. Do you no, agree? I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Uh, you know, I don't just represent Philippines. I mean, I'm obviously based in the Philippines. I've been in the Philippines 10 years, but um, I absolutely uh, promote the hell out of every other emerging economy and every other outsourcing economy. I think it's an absolutely incredible opportunity. Uh, certainly, you know, India and the Philippines um, hold the mantle in terms of the OGs of outsourcing. Uh, certainly, India is the biggest. Certainly, the Philippines is maybe the most refined. The downside to that is you do get salary inflation. I mean, it's a downside and an upside, of course. It's, it's great yeah. for the population to have um, salary inflation. Um, but also, you know, in that time, Ryan, I bet you prices have gone up, but also, you know, Australian salaries have also been going up, you know. So um, it is obviously you want salaries to increase, uh, at least in line with the the cost of living. Um, yeah. But you know, it, it's pretty much still in line. Uh, in terms of uh, Nepal, I see population of about thirty million people, so relatively small population. The GDP per capita is about one thousand two hundred dollars. Um, which, you know, to put in perspective, the Philippines is about uh, three, three and a half thousand. Uh, Sri Lanka, just having a look, is about four thousand. Uh, and then you have Australia, which is about fifty thousand sort of thing. So it's a relatively, you know, still very emerging, isn't it? Very emerging. Um, what is the, the level of English there like? Now, of course, there are English speakers there, but what is the sort of general immersion of English? Right. Um, yeah, I agree that Nepal is still a very poor country if you look at the per capita GDP. Uh, but, um, you know, I think Nepal has, in my opinion, um, a parallel economy. You know, there's like um, people who are still struggling. Um, and uh, when it comes to the um, economic status, they are still pretty backward. But there are people, uh, as you might have seen when you went to Kathmandu, uh, you know, uh, th th they are probably in the middle, uh, higher middle class, and they go to good schools. Um, there are a lot of uh, British schools, you know, American schools in Nepal, and uh, also there are private uh, institutions where uh, English is a medium of instruction from the very beginning, from like uh, nursery, you know, to high school. Um, so the younger generation have very good English, and I sometimes kind of envy, you know, uh, the English is better than mine, uh, and I, I've been living in Australia for 28 years already, because they've grown up watching all these uh, Bollywood uh, and Hollywood sitcoms, you know, where uh, they get to uh, pick up those uh, Western accents. To be honest, like, you know, uh, those... People who, in Nepal who speak good English, uh, they don't actually have uh, any Nepalese accent. 
uh, I would say the Nepalese accent is more like neutral. So that's that's uh, one benefit uh, that Nepal can offer, I think, because uh, most of the Filipinos have American accent, right? And the Indians have Indian accent. And uh, when, uh, you know, people from Australia, uh, they get calls from, uh, you know, uh, people based in Philippines or India, they know that the call is coming from overseas immediately. Whereas if they get calls from Nepal, uh, they might be a little bit confused, you know, like, I don't know, this person is calling from Australia or from overseas, uh, they might not pick it up immediately. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny, isn't it? Everyone's, everyone talks of the Philippine accent being very neutral, but it's neutral if you're American. <laughs> it's actually quite uh, American accent, yeah. which, of course, the whole world is not American. So, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Good, it's good to have um, accents. And just on a side note, you mentioned Bollywood movies in English. Is, is, are Bollywood movies in English like that? That surprised me. Oh, no, actually, Bollywood movies are mostly in Hindi. Uh, but, uh, you know, like India also, uh, English is an official language in India. And if you watch some of the uh, newer Bollywood movies, you know, they use a lot of English dialogues as well. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's incredible, it's, isn't it? I, I, yeah. I cite that a lot that, you know, the world is becoming so homogenized now for, for better or worse. But a lot of the youth are growing up on, on the same forums, whether it's uh, YouTube or Netflix or, uh, you know, TikTok. And so you do get this homogenization and the kids just pick up the languages, don't they? Uh, exactly. Very, very powerful. Yes. Uh, I think uh, in another like 10, 20 years, uh, people won't have any accent anymore or, you know, their way of thinking would be more global. And uh, we all already feeling like global citizens, don't we? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't think certainly, you know, much more than twenty, thirty years ago, where you know, I assume you felt this, like you really did feel a part of your country, and you had very little external sort of exposure. Whereas now, the kids are completely sort of the, the internet world knows no barrier, knows no borders. Yeah, it just sort of crosses. So I think there's a lot more uh, permutation of, of culture and language. Sure. Yeah, definitely do agree. hundred uh, percent. Like, you know, I have two daughters. Uh, they're grown up uh, in Australia, you know, uh, they were born here. Um, and um, I, I'm, I'm kind of a bit worried at the same time because, you know, I, I think they might face that identity crisis because uh, they are bombarded with so much information in the media. You know, uh, they may not feel like 100% Australian because they also keep in touch with, uh, you know, media from Nepal, from all over the world. Um, and being, um, you know, Nepalese Australian, uh, they might uh, not feel 100% Australian. Uh, but which is like, you know, uh, I don't know whether it's good or bad, but uh, I think that could be the case for most kids these days especially growing up in a country like Australia because it's so multicultural. Mm, mm. Mm. It is. Um, you know, most of the world's very multicultural now, isn't it? You know, and Australia is, it's pretty multicultural. I spent eight years in Australia myself and, you know, obviously oh, really? there's, there's a huge amount of immigration, um, but also the US and, you know, you talk of an American accent, but there's so many immigrants, there's so many languages. It's, it's such a melting pot that, you know, I think most Americans now realize that there is no 
American accent anymore. You know, it's it's um, it's a cultural melting pot, isn't it? Which is only going to increase. Uh, yeah, you were well, going to say, Brian, as well. So, in terms of salaries, then, so GDP is fairly low, which I assume then salaries are fairly low, which also hand in hand um, suggests that living costs are fairly low. So, we're not just sort of talking about you know how we can exploit the lower salaries, but of course, all of this moves hand in hand. But what yeah. are typical salaries there? Can you sort of suggest a couple of different roles, different levels of experience, um, you know, what would you expect to pay for the base salary for certain roles in Nepal? Right, sure. Um, Derek, actually, uh, I would like to request you not to actually based, you know, uh, your uh, financials on the, the GDP <laughs> because the GDP of $1,000 per year is just a figure, you know. I think uh, for someone to survive in Kathmandu Valley, uh, they need uh, a decent income. Um, so uh, if you are hiring, uh, let's say, um, like a virtual assistant, who are usually, uh, you know, recent university graduates, um, they, uh, they expect at least about one lakh rupees a month in salary. So one lakh rupees is like, you can say, just below 1,000 US dollars. Right? Wow. Okay. So, uh, you know, um, it, it may not be that cheap, to be honest, right? But yeah, still it's yeah. cheaper than, uh, you know, a lot, lot cheaper than uh, Western countries um, and uh, still cheaper than Philippines and India. Um, it, it really depends. Uh, so, on well, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know about that. Like a thousand dollars, that's quite a lot. Yeah. It would, what would the qualifications of that person be? Are they a fresh grad or sort of five years post-grad? Uh, what, okay, uh, for thousand dollars a month, you know, uh, you can you can easily uh, attract a candidate who has a bachelor's degree and at least two years experience. Right. Um, right. If you are willing to uh, hire someone just out of university or still in the university for a part time role, maybe you can pay less, uh, maybe five hundred dollars. You know. Um, right. Right. And. Uh, it's like that. That may be the salary, but there are some on cost as well. Um, oh, like the rent, yeah, yeah. rent is not that cheap over there anymore in Kathmandu. Um, you know, um, so from my experience, I, I think uh, for for an admin assistant or a virtual assistant, uh, even if you pay five hundred dollars salary, um, you know, once you add up uh, the um, the benefits, the taxes. You know, on cost rent, uh, you're looking at a cost of about thousand dollars, right? And again, uh, if you want to hire uh, high value candidates like in IT, uh, because of the competition at the moment, uh, uh, their salaries have gone up as well. Uh, from my experience, uh, most of them are asking for uh, 1.5 to 2 lakh rupees a month, which is again like you know, um, 1500 to 2000 US dollars a month. Right. Uh, but these candidates are highly qualified, you know, uh, they, they have already worked uh, in uh, multiple IT projects. You know, they might be experts in uh, software development, like they have skills in, let's say, Python, full stack. Um, you know, uh, they uh, some of them, they have experience in project management, um, business analysis as well. So yeah. there are all yeah. sorts of talent over there. Uh, 
from my research, that sounds, I, that sounds very competitive. The set of more entry level sounds a little bit expensive. Do are there mm-hmm. general call center agents? I mean, I can, you know, I can cite Task Us, for example, in the Philippines. You know, it's obviously mm-hmm. a um, Nasdaq listed outsourcing firm that's done really well. Uh, right. Just outside of Manila in Bulacan, they are paying people about fifteen thousand pesos per month, which is about. Yeah. 300 US dollars. Now, of course, that's the base salary, and then you have all of the government contributions on top. But, you know, that is a lower going rate for agents, and they are sort of call center agents. But, you know, that's that's sort of setting a bar um, in the Philippines kind of thing. Um, Now, of course, you can go up from there, and you should go up from there. But, uh, you know, what are agents getting in Nepal is like, are there established call centers, the bigger brands in Nepal? Uh, yes, there are actually. Um, from my research, I found that there are about 10 to 12 uh, really established call centers, uh, offshore, you know, software development centers in Nepal right now. Uh, just to name a few, uh, there's one called uh, Deerwalk, uh, which is a US-based company. Uh, so they have about 400 staff in Nepal. And, and there's uh, other one uh, called Leapfrog. Uh, there's Cotivedi, uh, uh, EB Pulse, uh, Brand Digit, Cloud Factory. You know, uh, all, most of these companies have at least two hundred staff. I mean, right. in comparison to the companies in the Philippines, like you know, where they have five thousand, ten thousand staff, they have like like their own university. You know, um, they are very small, but still. Uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, they are quite successful uh, in Nepal. Yeah, no, that's a good scale. You know, I think once yeah, you get to the so many companies. Uh, yes, uh, EB Paul is, I think, uh, they have uh, their head office in Australia as well. And there are some other companies uh, who are uh, from, like, Netherlands, you know, Europe. Uh, there's a company called Javra. I think they are from uh, Netherlands. And uh, they are into research and development projects. Uh, so, so there are all sorts of outsourcing coming to Nepal. You know, it's not just IT and virtual assistant and accounting. Uh, I see there are some companies who are also doing um, architecture, like design work. And and there's there's one company uh, I forgot their name. Uh, they actually do animation for Disney. You know. Uh, right. So uh, the thing is, the resources, the workforce is there, but uh, the the company who's trying to outsource might have to go there and uh, you know train them up uh, as per the requirements. Yeah. And, sure, sure. Um, from my experience, uh, I I won't suggest outsourcing the whole software development project to Nepal, uh, but rather just uh, you know, um, add uh, Nepalese team members to the project and maintain the project management from the head office. Because um, I think uh, because the market is still uh, emerging, uh, they're not as well established and, uh, you know, professionals like the people we have in uh, Philippines and India. Sure. Sure. There may not be. No, that's a, good. That's good guidance. And so, Brian, give us. You know, it's a it's a good segue into AppSkill. Then, so um, this is your second business, uh, AppSkill. And do you want to just tell us your journey into AppSkill and 
where you position yourself in the market? Because obviously you tap into Nepalese talent and you're focusing more on sort of software development, graphic design, that sort of aspect of the market, yeah? Um, yes, uh, Dore. Um, like I've been using outsourcing for my recruitment business for the last uh, 16 years already. So uh, I've gained a lot of experience dealing in this sector, um, you know, and as I said earlier, uh, I've tried outsourcing in the Philippines, India, Nepal, and uh, I think, uh, you know, all three areas were good. You know, they did help me uh, reduce my cost, uh, tap into all those talent. Um, uh, but uh, at the moment with AppSkill, um, I want to promote more Nepal because, you know, I think uh, Nepal is an emerging, emerging destination for outsourcing uh, and it's very cost effective. Um, so with AppSkill, what, what we've done is uh, right now we have a small team there of just under 20 people working for us. Uh, but in the long run, you know, uh, I want to grow that team. At the same time, uh, we're also working as resellers for some of the established outsourcing companies in Nepal, where, uh, you know, I can help uh, my clients uh, tap into their talent as well. So uh, the, the business model that I want to use is same as uh, what I've been doing here in Australia through my recruitment business, you know. Uh, we want to help uh, my clients to expand their team to Nepal. Uh, so, for example, if they want a full stack developer, uh, you know, we will find a full stack developer in Nepal. Um, and then we'll manage their payroll. You know, if they need training, we'll train them up. Um, and then uh, the client pays only for the hours they work. Um, so they could be hired you know, a fixed number of hours or on a part time basis or just on a casual basis as well. Um, right. And our area of expertise will be in identifying uh, the software development uh, candidates. Right. And what is the typical profile of client that you have then? Um, because you say that, you know, ideally the management of a, the, the project would be kept in-house or at home. Uh, and then you can sort of just hire auxiliary additional staffing manpower uh, in Nepal to sort of, you know, um, fortify that but if you're dealing with a smaller organization and it sounds like they're smaller organizations if they're sort of doing it by the hour then they don't yeah. sort of have all of that kind of architectural hi hierarchy you know a lot of small businesses just say look i need a website i need it to work i maybe need a bit of a back end can you get it yeah. done and they don't actually have the sophistication in terms of you know being able to build out the product and um, the sort of architectural aspects. So how do, how do those two things marry up? Um, because obviously, if you have a big company, then they could sort of, the staffing could just fold into some of those functions. Um, so right. where does it fit along that spectrum? Okay, right. Uh, usually for the smaller businesses, uh, you know, uh, what we do is uh, we uh, appoint someone in Nepal who will be doing like mostly job shadowing with the main person based in Australia. And, um, uh, you know, uh, they, uh, they will be using um, their own software management methodology, uh, you know, uh, probably based on agile. Uh, so that way uh, they can communicate, coordinate and cooperate uh, more effectively, right? Um, and also we will have in 
you know, like a supervisor in the uh, call center back home, back back in Nepal, who will make sure that uh, the staff is, uh, you know, working as per the guidelines. You know, they're meeting all the uh, targets. You know, uh, so that way. Um, our staff in Nepal will uh, make sure that you know all the projects are completed on time and within the budget. Uh, so that way, uh, the company in Australia they don't really need to have all those people like in uh, bigger companies where they can afford them. You know, right. In that respect, you're more of a you know it's less staffing. It's more of just a you know you're a dev shop. Yeah, you're a um, you build projects for people. Um, no, I wouldn't say that, Derek, because we don't want to take that responsibility, to be honest. Because from, from our experience in the past, what's happened is, uh, you know, when we take over the whole project, um, there's a lot of, you know, chances of uh, miscommunication. Because uh, it's, it's very difficult to uh, just get the brief from the company and, uh, you know, uh, and then... Um, deliver the end product uh, without having the, the client involved in the development process. And uh, we don't actually want to, uh, you know, take the whole responsibility of project management. Uh, we, we will have the staff in Nepal who can supervise the developer or the t- technician. Uh, but, you know, uh, we want the, the client to be responsible for the uh, the whole project right right it does become difficult doesn't it because projects inevitably become bigger and more complex and it wasn't all originally in the in the in the mapping and uh they become they do become difficult to deliver with satisfaction don't they yes exactly uh um, and that's that's what uh, we want to do you know uh, like our uh, developers in nepal uh, they, they will be highly responsive, uh, you know. Uh, let's say, for example, a basic example, you know, uh, our client wants to develop a website, right? Um, and if they want to make changes uh, to the things that has been developed, uh, you know, uh, they can actually contact our uh, IT staff in Nepal uh, maybe like four or five times a day, you know, if required. Um and it's possible with the technology these days, you know, they can be, uh, you know, in contact uh, through Skype. Uh, we can have a open walk-in uh, Zoom uh, room, you know, yeah, sure. uh, meeting sure, room. Sure. No, of course. So then how do, you, how do you price these things? Because it sounds like the staff are, they're not dedicated staff necessarily. They are working a number of projects. Uh, do you do you price it by hour, or are you pricing something by project? Uh, um, in most cases, they will be uh, working in just uh, one project at a time, uh, unless if it's a really small business and they want to pay by hour. Uh, you know, our staff in the call center may be working in multiple projects, but for a bigger uh, projects where. Uh, you know, uh, they are developing a software. Um, the company might uh, need a software developer. They might need a software tester. You know, uh, they might need um, uh, like a product manager. Uh, we can hire these uh, multiple talent uh, 
and put them in a project um, and and they will be uh, working in that project solely like you know just for the period of time like for a month let's say uh, they need these people they pay a monthly salary and uh, they will only work for that particular company right right so it really depends isn't it in terms of the the structure of the project and the length of the project because i imagine if the project was only a month you wouldn't actually want to hire someone just for that month unless they are also sort of a project worker themselves because you know anyone in a full-time job wouldn't want to give up that job for a month gig kind of thing um yeah that's true but uh, at the same time if the money is good like you know there are people who love flexibility you know uh, so they can move on from one project to another project uh, it's just quite common uh, in australia as well like you know we do a lot of uh, casual placements and in it uh, most of the jobs are project based anyway so so they work for 3 months in one company and after 3 months we already have a job lined up for them for another company you know um, and uh, if they are getting a good salary, um, they they don't mind. Um, yes, some people they, they they love that flexibility of you know uh, quitting anytime you know, or uh, they uh, if they're getting uh, good income you know, and if their skills are in demand, I think they end up making more money uh, at the end. And how does the price structuring work then? We, you know, earlier we spoke about base salaries. Now, of course, hopefully everyone in this audience understands that base salary is one thing, but then, of course, you have all of the on-top costs, uh, not only the government contributions that comply into the invoicing payroll, but then also, of course, you have to get paid for aggregating all of this, managing this. So hopefully everyone in the audience is mature enough to realize that there is, you know, markup on the base salaries. But, of course, I always talking in base salaries is valuable to get a sense of you know what what we're dealing with in terms of unit cost and um, but what are the typical pricing structures you work with then is it like an all-in price or is it transparent pricing where people know the salary and then it's the service fee on top how do you how do you generally structure the pricing right uh, so we want to keep our pricing as transparent as possible um, because we want our staff to feel as if they are working for our client and our client also can motivate them by paying them uh, more than the market rate, right? So uh, the way we calculate our pricing, our charge rate is um, like the staff salary uh, plus another uh, about 15% for the on cost, which includes the uh, superannuation like uh, in in Nepal they call uh, provident fund. And they also get one extra month salary per year uh, bonus, and uh, they get annual leave, uh, they get sick leave, uh, you know. Uh, and we all the standard stuff. So, so that all comes to about fifteen percent. Yeah, yeah they all included under that fifteen percent, and um, and we we add ten uh, percent our service fee, which is basically right. um, our profit margin. You know that includes our yeah. operation costs as well, right? Uh, so, um, in total, wow. um, you know they will be paying salary plus twenty five percent. That's our charge rate, and that's all they pay. You know we look after everything else. You know all the contracting uh, agreements, you know payroll, um, 
office management um, is all included in that cost. So that way our clients get that peace of mind that there will not yeah. be any cost loss. Yeah. That's very, very lean. Gosh, you only have a 10 cent margin, huh? Uh, yeah, gosh. All yes. Right. Uh, Good. Okay. Well, Ryan, thank you so much. Uh, really great to have the insight into Nepal. And I, I honestly and, you know, most sincerely wish the best for Nepal. And uh, if I can help encourage the industry over there at all, then, then I, I'll certainly do my best. Um, I think this is an absolutely fantastic thing for every economy in the world. And I think that the more the world works together and as is it is networked together, then the more the stronger and better the world will be for everyone. So certainly from an economic standpoint. Uh, so Ryan, thank you so much. If anyone wants to uh, get in touch with you or know any more about AppSkill, how can they do that? Sure. Um, uh, yeah, thank you once again, Derek, for this opportunity. Um, you know, I'm sure uh, our clients can benefit a lot uh, by using uh, Nepal as a destination for the outsourcing because it's a uh, it's an emerging destination. Uh, there's a lot of potential. You know, there might be some challenges, uh, but uh, you know, definitely they will benefit in the long run. Um, and uh, if they want to uh, use our services, you know, if they need our help to get into Nepalese market, um, they can contact us. Um, our website is um, appskill.com.au, and they can also find me on LinkedIn. Uh, so we can uh, discuss through LinkedIn. Uh, they can just look for Ryan's Rasta, R-Y-A-N, Ryan, S-S-R-E-S-T-H-A, um, and, uh, yeah, I'll be more than happy to help anyone, uh, you know, any business that wants to save money and also make a difference by helping a poor country, uh, you know, uh, develop. Um, we are here to support. Thank you very much. That was Ryan Schrechter. He is the CEO and founder of AppSkill. As always, if you're on any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And... If you want to email us, then just send us a line to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.